Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of James and chapter 3. James chapter 3. If you are new to us here at Grace, if you're visiting, thank you so much for being here. Perhaps you came this morning, you don't have a Bible. We want you to know that everything we do here at Grace Baptist is grounded in, rooted in the Word of God. It's not about our opinions or our thoughts or our pet peeves or hobby horses. This is from the Word of God. Everything we do, our singing, uh, our giving, our reading, our prayers, our preaching, everything we do, our interactions are all governed by God's Word. So we want you to have God's Word in front of you electronically or otherwise. In the Bible that should be in front of you, underneath the chairs there in front of you, it's on page 951, page 951, James chapter 3, James chapter 3. And this morning we want to look at verses 1 through 12. As mentioned in the opening illustration, our tongues, our mouths, our words, our megaphones for our heart. There's a direct line from who we are to what comes out of our mouth. Now, hopefully, some of us have filters, and hopefully, a lot of that has to do with the Holy Spirit in our lives, because of the grace of God, but eventually, what's going on inside comes outside, and James wants to deal with that with us this morning. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So follow along with me, if you would, as I read our passage this morning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of God. Now perhaps... Up to this point, your toes have been a little tender as we've walked through James. He doesn't mind treading on them 
because it's things that we do need to hear. But as we move into chapter 3, again, we've already had this introduced to us in chapter 1, when at the end of that chapter, James says there's three things that mark Christianity. For someone that is a true believer in Jesus Christ, James wants to highlight three ways we can know that to be true, three evidences of that. We visit the orphans, the fatherless, and the widows in their affliction. We help those that cannot help us in return. It is a selfless helping. We bridle our tongues. We watch what comes out of our mouth, by which we mean our hearts are being transformed so that if our hearts are more like Jesus' heart, then our words will be more like Jesus' words. And we keep ourselves unstained and unspotted from the world and worldliness. And James is going to pick that up a little bit more in chapter 4. So he's zeroing in now this morning on this matter of our words, our tongues. Jesus says in the Gospels that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A tongue issue, a word issue, an issue with anger, gossip, slander, flattery, a word issue is actually a heart issue. And we're going to see that as we work through our text this morning. So James chapter 3 and verse 1 First of all, and, and, and the title for the sermon is about power, because the tongue is a very powerful thing, as James is going to show us. But there's also the power of position and influence. So in the first place, we see that in verse 1. The role of the teacher, the role of a public speaker, the role of the pastor, is to publicly teach. A big part of the role of the teacher is to use words. And since words are powerful... We must be careful then who is in a position to teach with those words. There is great power and position and influence. And so James has a caution, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. A lot of prestige was given to teachers in this time period. Rabbis, in particular, were very well thought of. And, and held in high esteem. It's said, according to Jewish literature, that if your rabbi was in trouble or your family was in trouble, you saved your rabbi first. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the rabbis, the teachers, were held in high regard by society. They were the ones that people looked to and looked up to. There's a danger then that we want to serve in those ways, the public ways, the ways that everybody sees and the ways that everybody can then give us praise and affirmation. So James is not saying, hey, listen, we need less pastors. What he is saying is, check your heart. If you desire to be a teacher, be aware first of your motivation for doing so. Do you want to teach because it gives you power and influence? Or do you want to teach because you want people to know God? But let me get a little bit below the surface because James is nothing if he's not an individual that doesn't mind going a little deeper. The reality is, as you sit here this morning, you're already a teacher. Everybody in here and everybody watching online. You may not have the position... But you're teaching anyone who's observing you. Everyone in your sphere of influence who's impacted by your lifestyle and your words 
is already being taught by you. And so James says, be careful. Why? You know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's accountability. Paul will say, be careful with your words. No foolish jesting or idle speech. Jesus himself says that every idle word will be judged. And so if we have a conversation with a person and it does not honor God, the two people that are impacted are us and the person we're having the conversation with. But if we are addressing an entire group of people, as I am this morning, the impact of my words is greater. And with the greater responsibility comes the greater accountability. So James says, don't be in a big rush to exert inappropriate power and influence. Because with greater power and influence comes far greater accountability. There is power, James says, in our words. People have been swayed by charismatic teachers. Cults have arisen. And intelligent people have followed cult leaders to their deaths. Words are powerful things. Whoever coined the little children's rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was incorrect. That's not a true phrase. Its intent is, if people insult you or say things about you on the playground, just let that sort of, you know, wash off your back, get water off a duck's back, don't worry about that. The reality is words do hurt and deeply wound. And as you're here to, sitting here this morning or listening online, I can guarantee you almost 100% that words that have been spoken to you in the past in particular by somebody in a position of power influence in your life, a parent, a grandparent, a coach, a mentor, have had a great impact on you. And you can bring them to mind right now as I'm talking. Words are powerful things, and so James says we need to be careful with our words. In the second place then this morning, we see that the words have the power to reveal our hearts. As I mentioned in the opening illustration, our tongue is almost like a megaphone directly connected to our heart. If you want to know what's going on inside someone's heart, listen to what they say and how they say it. It's almost as if our tongue, small as it is in relation to the other parts of our body, is, has a main line, a, a microphone cable, we could say, directly to our heart, our innermost being, our innermost thoughts, and it fairly screams that at those around us. Our words reveal who we are. Our words reveal our hearts. James then walks down this. He says, For we all stumble in many ways. But if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And recall James says in James chapter 126 that what we need to do is bridle our tongues, control our tongues. And he's about to use an illustration of a horse which uses a bit and bridle. So going back to what he said before, he now brings it back here to say, if you could speak perfectly, that would mean then that you are a perfect person. If all of your words were mature, that would mean then that you've reached spiritual maturity. Now there's one of two ways we can go with this. We can say, okay, so my goal from this morning moving forward is I'm never again going to speak anything that does not honor God. Check back in with me this afternoon. See how that's going for you. We, we think in words. So while we may not speak them out loud, they're in our heads. 
And then we say things to other people about other people that we should not say. And then we say things directly to people that we should not say. In ways that we should not say. James says, you can give her a go. Or maybe just take a vow of silence. That's what some monastics tried to do. For some of you in here, including myself, that'd be a little bit of a stretch. So James says, okay, you can focus on the tongue if you wish. And if you could bridle the tongue, if you could make the tongue perfect, you never miss, from this day forward, you were never misunderstood. Everybody was perfectly clear with what you said and your meaning behind it. You never spoke anything that was out of turn or that did not honor God. He said that would be evidence then that you have perfected all the rest of your life. So we could focus on the tongue. But I think what James is actually saying is, the reality is what needs to change is our hearts. Because if our hearts are transformed and who we are is made perfect in Christ then our words will match that. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So James is not saying, take a vow of silence, try never to speak anything ill or out of turn ever again, and therefore you will then perfect the rest of your body. I think what James is saying is, if by the gospel Jesus is transforming you and perfecting you by the gospel, then your speech will follow suit. Your speech will change. Because in verses 3 and 4, his point is that our heart controls our words. Now he's going to use three illustrations of small things that have big impacts. A small bit in relation to the size of the horse has a big impact on the horse. A small rudder has a big impact on the ship, the vessel. And a small fire, a small spark can create a large fire. But I'm going to, I see in this a difference in the horse and the ship and the fire. And I'll show you that in just a moment. So James makes the point. A bit in relation to the size of the animal is quite small. But if the animal has been trained thereby, a small tug on the reins can move that animal whichever way we want it to. Small thing, big impact. The rudder on a ship, in relation to the size of the ship, and sometimes you go down to the port of Charlottetown and see some of the huge cruise ships that are in port, that rudder on that ship is quite small in relation to the rest of the ship. And yet, the pilot up in the pilot house turns the steering wheel and the entire vessel turns because of the small rudder. Small thing, big impact. But in the first two illustrations, there's someone who is in control. There's the rider who's on the horse or the pilot, the captain who is piloting the ship. And so I think James is saying, small element, our tongue, small in relation to the rest of our bodies, but big impact. But in the first two illustrations, there is somebody who is in control. This isn't passive, this is active. And I think that control center, as James is saying, and the rest of scripture would uh, uh, back that up, is that it is our heart that is the control center. So what comes out of our mouth originated in who we are, inside. So sometimes, when we're not trying to impress people, we let our guard down, what's actually going on inside our hearts 
comes out of our mouth. And we don't have to spend a lot of time with somebody till something that's in there comes out there. And it's a revealer of what's going on inside. Gossip, slander, lies, dishonesty, deceit, all of these things. And can I just remind everyone as a quick aside that if someone gossips to you, 100% of the time, they're gossiping about you. And so in the questions for the reflection, Proverbs has a lot to say about gossip <laughs> and also likens it to fire. But whether it's slander, gossip, flattery, all of these realities and so many more, the heart is the control center of it all. And so our words reveal our hearts. So also, James says in the first part of verse 5, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. All the thoughts that we have, all the positions that we hold, all of the ideologies that we adhere to, all of those things that are inside of us, it is the tongue that brings them out. It is our words, it is our speech that reveals those. And so the tongue is a powerful thing because it reveals who we are. But notice, in verses 5b and 6, the power that the tongue has to spread evil. This is James's point with the third illustration, and he's going to expand on that. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We're all aware of the forest fires that are still raging in our country. And if you trace those back, they all started with a single spark. A cigarette butt that was tossed a match, and hectares and hectares of land devastated, homes, people's lives impacted by a raging out-of-control forest fire because of one spark. And so our tongue then is the touch point of evil. That spark that starts the forest fire, where that starts, that's our tongue. That's where the evil begins. It goes from our hearts and then is out there. And like the toothpaste, once it's out, it can't be brought back in. How much evil has been spread through speech? So you've heard something, rumor, hearsay, and you spread that. How quickly does that spread? Someone has said that a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets out of bed in the morning. And we see it all around us in our culture. This rush, 24-hour news, and the rush to be the ones to break the news. Journalistic integrity has now become an oxymoron. Doesn't matter what the facts are. What matters is that we need to get a story out, and the more sensational and the more negative, the better. And we eat this up. It's the shows that we watch. It's the things that we absorb. And it spreads in the common vernacular, it goes viral. How many of your opinions on things have been swayed and informed by this spreading of wildfire? This speech, James says, this is the touch point of so much evil. If you have a pen and use these notes right off to the side or log it away in your brain, Proverbs 18.13 and Proverbs 18.17. Those should become everybody's life verses. What does Solomon say? A man that answers a matter before he's had all the facts is a fool. Now how many in here this morning want to be a fool 
Anybody in here say, my life's goal is to be foolish? I don't think that's anybody. So if you don't want to be a fool, get all the facts before you speak. Have you talked to the person that is involved in the thing that you've heard? Have you gone to the source? Have you gotten their side of the story? Do you have all of the facts before you speak? Far too many of us retweet a tweet without any thought whatsoever. We even have people uttering death threats online. So easy, it seems. It takes 30 seconds to impact somebody's life halfway around the world from behind the anonymity we think of our computer screens. And so the wise Solomon would say, before you make up your mind on something, before you set your, your sort of ideology about something, get all the facts. How many people's reputations have been ruined? How many people have been canceled in our culture? Because nobody bothered to get all the facts. And then Proverbs 18, 17 says, the person who speaks first is believed until somebody comes and cross-examines him. When we tell a story, it's always from our perspective and we're always the hero of our own story. How many of you have ever recalled, or recounted a story, retold a story that you are the loser in? And it's your favorite story. Like every time the family gets together, you're like, guys, let me tell you a story. This is one time I did something really stupid. It's a great story. Let me tell it. Has that ever happened? What are the stories that we tell? The stories we tell make us look good. And even in the stories where we don't look good, we tell them in such a way that we look better than we actually were. And so when someone comes to you with something, Proverbs would tell us, the Word of God would tell us, that we cross-examine that. We have all the facts. James says, our tongue is a touchpoint for evil. And the tongue is a fire. He's no longer using a metaphor. It is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The unrighteous world and all that that means is spread through the tongue. It's disseminated through speech and articles and podcasts and all these things. Now, the tongue also has great power for good. But James's point is how we improperly use the tongue to spread evil. Notice the invasive influence of evil. It, it is set amongst our members and it stains the whole body. Every part of who we are is revealed in our speech. You can't divorce yourself from the things that you repeatedly say. Well, that was the Monday me, but now you're talking to the Tuesday me, and that's a different person. Our words reveal who we are, all of us. It, it, it's invasive. Notice the longevity of it. Setting on fire the entire course of life. Calvin said there's a number of sins that we can become better at not committing, we can grow in. But he said all the way from the beginning of life to the end, from the time we begin to speak until we stop speaking, our speech is still an area of sin. You can be in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and beyond. And to the day you die, you will struggle with your speech. 
Because until God perfects us in glory, our hearts are still sinful. And so from a sinful heart come sinful words. We say things hastily. We say things in anger. We spread gossip and slander and lies. We are dishonest and deceitful. We don't tell all the truth. We just tell half the truth. We say things to make other people look bad because we think it'll make us look better. And it goes on and on and on. And James says it's a lifelong reality. It sets on fire the entire course of life. And now he goes deep and is set on fire by hell. The source of evil is hellish. It goes back to the one who said, I will be like the Most High, Satan himself. I don't think that it is by accident that when the Holy Spirit descended on the first disciples, how did he reveal himself? As tongues of fire. Do you ever think about that? At Pentecost in Acts 2, Peter preaches with the other disciples, and it is a reversal, in a sense, of Babel. Languages all divided. Now God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, languages united. Our tongues are rooted in hell, because that is the root of all evil. But only in Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can we be given new tongues. To instead of speaking the words of selfishness and greed and lust and jealousy and anger and frustration and unthankfulness, and the list goes on and on, only through Jesus Christ can we begin to speak the language of heaven. Can we begin to speak the character of God? Can we begin to speak words that uplift and encourage and build up? We need new tongues. Because we need new hearts. The tongue's source of evil is hell itself. Notice in the fourth place this morning the power of the untamable tongue. Every kind of beast has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. Notice it is a restless evil. That word restless there is the same word in chapter 1 of unstable. James says the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. There's an animalistic part of our tongues. There, there's a, a part of our tongues that connected to our hearts, and the part of our hearts that is still not glorified through Jesus Christ, it's still a megaphone for that. How many remember the act Siegfried and Roy? I'm dating myself a little bit. Anybody? It's an act in Vegas with big cats. Tigers, lions, trained tigers and lions, obviously. And the big showstopper was either Siegfried or Roy, and I could never tell which one was which, would stick their head in the mouth of one of these big cats. And what happened one day? And why does everybody go to the show? <laughs> you want to be at that show, right? <laughs> what happened? For all the training, for all the tameness of this big cat, it chomped. And either Siegfried or Roy was hospitalized. It's restless. That tongue can lay dormant for days, weeks, months. But if we are not constantly relying on God's grace, what happens? It's not tameable. And however old you are, and however long ago it was that you began speaking, that's how long you've been attempting to tame the tongue. And guess what? As you sit here this morning, none of us, myself included, have success, been successful in that. 
we're still saying things that we shouldn't. Ah, why did I say that? It's untamable. Notice that it also reveals inconsistency. The tongue is full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Remember when you were a kid and you are getting reamed out by your mom? Anybody else with me? Right? You were stupid yet again, and your mom's giving you the business. And then in the middle of that lecture, phone rings. You remember this? Anybody with me? Your mom was like, eh, hi. Where did that person come from? Can I talk to them? It's fantastic. James says, really, guys? Go to church, hands in the air, eyes closed. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And then two seconds later, insult the person next to you or judge them. He says, my brothers, this, that shouldn't be. We say that we're being transformed with the power of the gospel. We say that we love Jesus. We say that we're praising him. And yet out of our mouth comes negative words, words that tear down, words that judge, words that insult, words that are gossipy and slanderous against those made in the image of God. How is that possible? And now he changes a little bit in verse 11. Because in the sixth place, the power of discouraging words. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? I think James's point here is a little bit different. It's, it's, it's similar, these last three points, but there are some nuances. Let's say you have two sources of water. A freshwater spring and salt water. But what happens when those two sources of water come together from the same opening? Is it half fresh and half salt? What happens? It's salt water. You can pour even more fresh water in, but if there's salt water mixed in, that water's salt. The last two years, we've gone to a marriage conference, and I would highly recommend any married couple, no matter what stage your marriage is in or how long you've been married, to go. Uh, this coming spring, we intend to go again. Part of that is they talk about speech, they talk about communication. And so they've polled married couples. And in a marriage where the husband and wife say, our marriage is generally negative. There's a lot of negativity in our marriage. The ratio of positive, uplifting, encouraging words to negative, discouraging, tearing down, insulting words, do you know what the ratio is? One to one. But in a relationship where both the husband and wife say, our relationship is, is overwhelming or overall positive. Yes, we have our times, as all couples do, but we have a positive relationship. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. We love each other. Do you know what the ratio is of positive, encouraging, uplifting words to negative, insulting, uh, tearing down words? Five to one. It takes five encouraging words, uplifting words, I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm thankful for you, to offset one negative word. And by the way, parents and grandparents, it's the same or even more in the lives of our children. If you take a discouraging word and an encouraging word and put them together, guess what happens every single time? 
the discouraging word wins out. And James says you can't mix fresh and salt water together because the fresh water will always become salt. The good does not impact the bad, but the bad does spoil the good. And so when it comes to our tongues, the power of discouraging words. You know this. You may have had a coach that encouraged you, but that one game, that one discouraging word that was said, may have set you away from that sport. I'm no good. I'm going to pack it in. The power of discouraging words. James says our tongue is a powerful thing and discouraging words are powerful. And then notice we end where James began. That the power the tongue has to reveal the heart. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What needs to change? The one thing you should not take from this sermon is, all right, I'm going to go home, and this week I'm going to be more encouraging. I'm going to change how I talk. As I said, tell me how that goes. Because later on today, it's not going to go so well. Let alone Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, on into the week. No, what needs to change? What needs to change is us. Our hearts need to change. Because as Jesus said, again, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The issue is we're not going to clean up our speech. Okay, no more discouraging words, only uplifting words. And then that person cuts you off in traffic. And it might not be directly discouraging, but maybe a little bit passive-aggressive. Either way, not as encouraging as it should be. If we take from this that, okay, we need to do better, try harder, and clean up our speech, we've missed what James is trying to say. He's painting a realistic picture of the reality of our sinfulness to drive us to the only one who can give us grace. Did you miss something throughout this text? James will use this phrase repeatedly throughout this letter, but he uses it three times in 12 verses. What is the word? Did you miss it? What does he say repeatedly? Who do, what does he call his audience? Three times. Brothers. Who's he talking to? He's talking to individuals that are, have been transformed, are being transformed, and will one day be fully transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's trying to push us towards Jesus, as the author of Hebrews is, as the author of all scripture is. Guys, here's the reality. Our tongues are powerful things. More powerful than we admit and certainly more powerful than we interact with because we are far too casual about what we say. James says our words are powerful. It's a megaphone of our heart. It's a revealer of who we are. It's a powerful thing. Our speech needs correcting constantly. But what's the remedy? The remedy can't be, well, I'll just try to speak better. The remedy is the only remedy, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are great sinners, but there's a great Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if you're having problem with your tongue, and you are because you're human, then the only one who can help with that problem is Jesus Christ the righteous. What did James say back in verse 8? No human being, in the Greek it's emphatic, no human being can tame the tongue. There's individuals that have tamed grizzly bears. We've tamed lions, tigers. Name the animal, we've tamed it. You can't tame the, the, the little tiny member that's in your own head. 
Can't do it. But who can? The one who made it. And the one who can remake it in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So as always, do not hear ever from this pulpit, you stink and you're a horrible sinner, and so go home this week and try harder. If you ever get that from a sermon, you heard it wrong. No, James is painting us a picture to say, you have a problem. You can't fix it. So run to the only one who can. (laughs) Run to Jesus. Run to the one who made your tongue and say, God, my heart is wicked and it overflows in what comes out of my mouth. I've been negative and I've been ungrateful and I've been unkind and unloving. God, I need help and you're the only one who can help me because I've tried and I've failed every time. Run to him for mercy and grace. And so the question for this morning is, what does your speech reveal about your heart? James doesn't pull any punches. If you are continually running other people down, continually using your heart for evil, it's not just that, oh, oops, You need to check whether, in fact, you are actually a disciple of Jesus Christ the righteous. This is serious stuff. Because James says, if you have a vine, the only thing you can expect off that is grapes. If olives or figs pop out, you've got a miracle on your hands and a problem. I say this in counseling all the time. You have an apple tree. You can go to that apple tree, pick off every single apple, buy a bunch of oranges and staple them on the branches. Ta-da! Orange tree. What's going to happen? What's coming up next season? Apples. Why? Because it's not the fruit that needs focus, it's the root. The issue is our hearts. And so if your speech is ungodly consistently, it is perhaps letting you know that your heart is ungodly which means, despite the fact that you prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, signed a card, you may not be who you think you are. But, if you humbly submit yourself to God and say, God, I have a problem with my speech, which means I have a problem with my heart and I need help and you're the only one that can help me, God help me. God, transform me through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that although I'm a great sinner and cannot save myself, there is one who can, and his name is Jesus Christ. Run to him. In all of these things, as we go through James, that's the point. Run to Jesus. He is the one full of mercy and grace. Let's look to him in prayer as we close our service this morning, and the music team comes back. Father, we are so thankful for your word. So much of what we hear in our culture dances around the issues, does not give us the truth, is not fully honest, is more concerned with our feelings and more concerned with affirming those feelings than it is with telling us the truth. Now, love is not rude, love is kind, but love speaks the truth. And we're thankful for your servant, James, as we mentioned last Sunday. Grew up in a house with his half-brother, Jesus. 
and did not believe. And yet now he does. And he does not want to waste any time. James does not suffer fools lightly. He has no time for games. He has no time for empty platitudes. And not because he's harsh and unkind and mean, but because he loves. He wants us to know the truth and to walk in it. And so, Father, we've got work to do. But that work is not by our efforts, but that work is to finally get rid of our pride and submit ourselves to you and say, God, I've got a problem. And my mouth is showing my heart. And it's, it's got a lot of ugliness left. It's a lot of darkness in there. And I need you to root that out. I need the light because I still have darkness in me. That might mean that we are not lights. We're still in darkness and we need you. We need to submit to you and cry out to you to save our souls. But Father, it could mean that we are your children. We just have been walking in disobedience. We need your help. We need your forgiveness. We need you to reorient us so that our speech matches who you are making our hearts to be and to model after your son. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.